Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Remarkably Us, the podcast. I'm your host, Shelly Roan, sober gal living in Southern California, navigating the ins and outs of life. After what we'll call the great breakdown of 2019, I've been journeying through sobriety, trauma, divorce, relationships, self-discovery, all of the above. In this podcast, I'll have solo episodes where I talk about my life, the things that I am dealing with, have dealt with, and all the tools I've collected in maintaining a consistent environment for self-growth, love, and discovery. We'll also hear from others who are breaking barriers and climbing incredibly tough mountains. Get ready to get inspired and motivated to laugh and to cry, but most importantly, to love a little. Let's jump right into it. Today, hi, I'm joined by Adam Carlson. Adam and I have known each other since I first moved to San Diego, like six, okay, what did we land on? Six Six years ago. We were neighbors, so it was my second place, and we shared that porch. <laughs> Do porch life. That was that was probably I tell people that was probably one of the funnest summers. Like that, I think it was this. You know, kind of when I first moved in, and then like that last summer that we had there. I feel like that was definitely one of the funnest summers I think I have ever had. We just, oh my gosh, we. <laughs> We had a blast. So Adam was actually the one that gave me a foot in, in the organization that I work in now, because you, I needed, I was finishing my bachelor's and I needed a, an internship. And I knew that you worked for this organization or the healthcare, the clinics that I work for now. So I'm like, perfect. This is, you know, this'll be easy breezy. I can get in do little work for, you know, (laughs) for to, you know, get these hours in. And then I ended up, you know, they hired me right after that. And you left to join the Peace Corps. And then I took your job, (laughs) (laughs) which was, which was great. But I, it's just really funny how things work out. Like I, you know, meeting you and then us staying friends. Yeah. So us knowing each other's journeys and you have always worked in healthcare. And so that was, that was really great. So today I want to talk about evolving queer identity and intergenerational trauma and attachment styles, which sounds like a lot. And it is, (laughs) it's a lot. We're going to hopefully I'm watching the clock and I, I'm going to cut us at like hour and 15. So we'll see how much we get through, but this is such an area of I feel like it's an area of expertise for you because I, all the conversations that we've had in the past is so much around this and the work that you've done. I just, I'm like, I'm going to pick your, I'm going to pick your brain, but first of all, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. You just flew in from Milwaukee. Yep. We were just at the beach, which was lovely. We have our, our, I think I just realized today it was like a, it's a tradition. It is our tradition. I pick you up from the airport. We go straight to Wonderland, <laughs> <laughs> which gonna... sounds like a drug trip. <laughs> we drop a bunch of ass and go to Wonderland, so. <laughs> which it is a Wonderland is a, um, a bar and restaurant in Obi, Ocean Beach. It's this beautiful, if anyone ever goes to San Diego, go to Ocean Beach and go to Wonderland. 
because it just, the view is amazing. And then we walk the, we get coffee yeah. and we walk the pier. You put your feet in the water. Yeah. I usually watch you and that's it. So yeah. that's our tradition, which is nice. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're here and thank you for sitting down and letting me record you talk and then put it on the internet. Of course. Love of that course. I can, that I am not doing this with the people that I love. Um, so Adam, you are now the director of quality management for a nonprofit clinic in Milwaukee, which is amazing. Congratulations. Thank you, you have worked so hard. I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of you. Um, I want to start off with the evolution of queer identity these days, because most of your career has stemmed around LGBTQ, mental health, substance use. So I'm wondering why I have been thinking about this a lot the last couple of years, especially since I've been more open with my sexuality. Why do you think that the amount of people or, and the amount of people coming out as like non-binary, um, pansexual, bisexual, all of that has kind of really dramatically increased in the last few years? Um, I would say the visibility increased over the mm. past uh, several years. Um, but I think it, um, it's always been around, yeah. but, um, it's, it's been pushed down because of stigma. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's even the gay community, but I would, I would trace it back to, I think it's about 2015 with marriage equality, mm. the more visibility, um, especially, uh, gay and lesbian, uh, couples had, um, it gave a little more, um, purchase, uh, to the larger queer community. And I think, yeah. um, I think using that term, um, I wanted to ask you what you thought queer meant. To me, queer is everything that could possibly be not straight. Yeah. Like literally anything that derives outside of I am a man and I like a woman or I am a woman and I like a man. Anything outside of that. So bisexuality, any attractiveness, you know, being attracted to a different sex, even a little bit, anything that stems from that very basic man and woman, any of that in my mind is queer. Uh, yep. Am I like, <laughs> no, no, you're, you're, you got it. Um, and I think it's also important um, with queer, um, how it's that term itself has been reclaimed mm, uh, by mm -hmm. the larger LGBTQ uh, community. Um, queerness explains that that not different that non uh, heteronormative yeah. man woman um and it, it kind of hints towards the spectrum of both like gender identity and sexuality and yeah. how those are just very fluid all of them and they mm -hmm. can be expressed in different ways um so yeah i think i think you you nailed it um and i i really do think that um especially the marriage equality and just that, that push for visibility mm. made it a little bit easier for, for other folks to move around and be like, Hey, I'm here too. I'm part of this. Community. Right. Because I have a lot of. <laughs> I'm choosing my words very wisely. I have a lot of very conservative family, some conservative friends who I've heard over the last couple of years say things like, well, now everyone just wants to be whatever they want. Like now I identify as a cow. Like I've heard people say that and make, you know, and, and it, to me, one, I hate that. It just bothers me, but it's more of, it's not that 
people are like making these things up now that, you know, people are coming out more and that there's more visibility. It's that people, I feel individuals feel more comfortable saying this is like you said, it's a, it's fluid. It's a spectrum. Um, this is the part of the spectrum that I feel like I lie on and that I think that's really hard for people that fit in that heteronormative, you know, box, not that there is anything wrong with that, but I think that how wide the spectrum is, is really hard for some people to grasp because it's huge. Yeah. The, um, I think, uh, I think uh, traditional values uh, reinforce gender stereotypes. So that is your, you know, a woman cooks, cleans, stays in the house. Um, man goes to work, you know, does, you know, things with machines or... <laughs> Picks things up and puts them down. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we know that that's not true. There's, yeah. um, you know, a variety of experience and jobs. Um, and I, that's come with uh, somewhat with women's suffrage. But we've seen, we've seen definitely... Uh, especially for women, just, um, how dynamic, yeah. um, and, and how more, how that's become more visible in the past, uh, probably 30 years, um, yeah. 30, 40 years. Um, and so that's starting to shift within traditional communities. Um, but it, it's really hard to just challenge people that are used to just seeing a man and a woman. Yeah. And for some people, it feels like overload and some people just aren't ready to accept some information. Um, yeah. Uh, you see, you see some families, um, especially with queer kids uh, that come out as transgender or, or gay, um, that they're able, the parents or maybe the family structures there are maybe able to explore kind of what that means in their world, but not necessarily engage the larger, mm-hmm. um, you know, societal, like seeing it on TV, um, acknowledging. Right. Um, so it, it's definitely, um, I don't know, it's, it's a trip. I have... Um, the traditional value system is it threatens a lot of things so yeah <laughs> um, it brings it brings a lot of things to light um, yeah i think that goes back to one of the other items that we'll talk about but the um the intergenerational trauma that yeah. ability to accept process and and acknowledge people where they're at um yeah. it's harder based on people's experience it really is and i think it's so i can't explain how different right my coming from montana and living for almost a decade in southern california and how different the mindset of people there are from here and it is it's it's really it's just it can be overload and i feel that for you know for people and you know there are a lot of people that i know that it's not that they're that they think it's wrong or they think it's bad, but I, I like that you put it that way. I think they are just overloaded a little bit because it did kind of feel like it was a lot all at once, which was great. And I love to see that, right? I love being like, heck yeah, you identify as that. That's amazing. I'm so glad that you're living in your truth now. But I can also see on the other side how it would be like every time you turn on the TV or look through social media, that there's a new identity, that there's a new, you know, um, referring to someone as they or them instead of, I can see how that would be an, a little overload for someone. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I will say, um, moving it, like I came from a fairly traditional, yeah. um, mostly rural uh, area in Illinois. 
Um, so moving, moving to Southern California, working in these jobs with, <laughs> you know, in LGBTQ yeah. uh, spaces um, and, and having to do events and, and really being exposed to a lot. Like it was overload in that situation too, even though I was part of the community, I hadn't yeah. necessarily been exposed to a lot of, a lot of what I, what I saw, who I yeah. talked to. Um, so it definitely, it, it took me a second, even being part of the community, um, but it's definitely, uh, I don't know. Um, I think, I think we'll start to see, see a change a little bit more. I think it's easier for folks to just kind of take a step by step, like understanding a non-binary individual is like top tier when you're still down here <laughs> trying to figure out lesbians yes. <laughs> like so right? you can't like Les you can't just like skip lessons yeah, you have right? to you have to really understand yes how how like what's different between sexual orientation which is gay and lesbian versus gender identity which is a completely mm -hmm. different mm -hmm. uh internal um component and then there's gender expression which is you know another step like it, folks just aren't yeah always gonna be there. i love that i think to advise people on in that way like why don't you just like with everything else that you learn you wouldn't walk into if you want to get a math degree you wouldn't walk into a five what's the highest level class 500 six <laughs> I, we both went to school and i'm like i don't know i think it's like 500 or 400 level classes because the entry ones are like 100 yeah. right you wouldn't start your first year at a 400 level you know, advanced calc class or whatever. You're starting basic, basic 100 math. So it's the same way when you go into learn, you know, if you want to learn more about just the LGBTQ community and its whole, start small, especially if you haven't ever gotten any, you know, don't have any experience with anyone in the community or really know that much about it. Take bite-sized pieces, start small and work your way, work your way up and ask questions yeah. and be, you know, and be curious. And it is, it can be a lot, but I think, do you feel like we're moving in the right direction? Uh, in terms of visibility or? I guess in its whole, or how in we're, the right direction. So like, there's, um, I think there's a lot more positive space that's being created for youth at the peak years of development where they might be experiencing uh otherness i guess yeah. uh, whether that be feeling that they're gay or lesbian or that they might feel like their gender doesn't match what they were born as mm -hmm. like and it's in those peak areas where you know you remember being a teenager like it's all hormones all the time like oh we're angry assholes like we're, we're all sorts of things yeah um but to know that within that that there is a safe space or mm -hmm. at least a place to engage with someone without stigma without barriers mm -hmm. i think i think i think we're heading in a great direction for yeah. for kids at an area at, at an age where they can really accept and and use that yeah. um, that space um you know to make uh to make a better impact for i lost it but i understand we're here <laughs> yeah i'm following you you got me yeah. i have following the way if you're writing yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you should have seen my notes. They all like fell off just like that. I was like, oh yeah, that's good. That's yeah, a good point. Right. But but yeah. definitely um I think um taking stigma out of the equation is is huge for yeah. for a lot of it. At least creating a space where people can engage without fear as part of the equation. Yeah. I told I and focusing on youth 
I think is also really important, right? Because that, I mean, that's such the, you know, the issues that a teenager already has to face, which I, I think one, I was thinking a few weeks ago that I feel like teenagers get not a bad rap, but almost like, like they just get this, oh, they're being a stupid kid or they're being a stupid, you know, teenager. And it's almost like we forget, right? Like how the inner turmoil of a teenager. And then you also mix it with having, right. Being that confusion of, you know, exactly. Maybe they feel like they're a different gender. If, you know, confusion around their sexuality, think more, I feel like we're going in the right direction with putting more emphasis on youth, on teens, on kids. And I would, I would say that that's where I think the focus, you know, really should be. Yeah. And I think it, it also helps um, the kids think critically about their home environment because they're not in school all the time, but the home environment and who you're surrounded by yeah. that definitely reinforces some of the negative stuff. And, and kids have probably seen it through, um, through this pandemic, um, especially with uh, folks that come from anti-mask or, mm. or people that dig their heels in in certain certain areas. Um, yes, at least at least children now have the opportunity to recognize negative behaviors and to start building <laughs> positive response um, mechanisms. Yeah, I mean, we're laughing. My dog right now is she likes to hide in the curtains or she likes to put the curtains over her face. She's staring out at the window, at the um, outside, wanting to go out. Let me just, give me a second. Let me just let this beast out. It's not like we're doing anything here. Please feel free to just ruin my podcast. Okay. So <laughs> the joy, the joys of Meeks. Um, okay. So I think that <laughs> I want to segue here. <laughs> I was just, <laughs> I was telling you earlier, I took a quiz. I took a Buzzfeed quiz on, because I knew I wanted to talk about when you mentioned attachment styles, I'm like, oh my gosh, because this is something that's been, I've been thinking about a lot and I couldn't put my like I couldn't put my finger on what I was thinking about myself, like trying to figure out in about myself. And it was my fucking attachment style. So when you texted me this, I'm like, this is like, oh, this is it. So I took a, <laughs> I took a quiz and I was telling you earlier on psychologytoday.com, I took a quiz to find out what my attachment style is. And I have an avoidant attachment style go fucking figure right i'm not surprised by that at all but when i was reading the descriptions it was i was making it was making me so sad for myself i was having a little pity party because it said things like this individual you know was most often let down by caregivers when they were a child and is scared of being let down by partners. So they push everyone away, only let people in like a fraction of the way and in turn creating the reality 
that they push people away to avoid. So like creating this very lonely space, but it, so yeah, that was a fucking slap across the face. I can't wait to tell my therapist I took this quiz because she's going to be like, interesting. <laughs> She'll probably be proud that you you did some homework on the side, <laughs> to be honest. like so, Most therapists would be like, hell yeah, good for you. <laughs> like You're doing my job for me. I had that planned out for three sessions from now. Yeah. Um, what, kind, what attachment style are you? I want to look up how many, there's five, isn't there's there? four. What um, are they? It's a secure, confident, uh, anxious, preoccupied, dismissive, avoidant, and fearful avoidant. Oh, I don't know if I'm dismissive or fearful. I think the fearful avoidant is also like the um, the chaotic one or the, uh, uh, the disorganized one. So I'm because de- um, I'm definitely not disorganized. The, yeah. So it's, I think you're uh, the dismissive, which would be the isolation, ambiguity, ambivalence, and emotionally distant. <laughs> which might have been a podcast topic or two in the past <laughs> yeah. So. yeah that was that was a that was a slap across the face um it was that was a lot because it yeah it pointed out a lot of things one that I already know but it did it in a way that I was like okay I have to this is now something that I need to address and not address as like, this is just who I am, but address is like, okay, how can I change? Yeah. It's about, um, I think like discovering, um, your attachment style. And I think mine was the anxious preoccupied. Which one did, what are those? Uh, emotional hunger, fantasy bond, lack of nurturing and turbulence. Um, Oh yeah. So it's just kind of, yeah, uh, just that I, I yeah, it was pretty much with you. Like, yeah, <laughs> but it's it's um, it's uh, I think recognizing that there's the three kind of like um, it's the dismissive one, the anxious one, and then the disorganized. But it's about how to recognize any of your stressors within that and how you respond. So like, why am I, you know, being distant in this situation? Did I cut this person off? Um, and it's about building towards that secure bond and that secure attachment style. Um, right. So it's it's a, like a combination. One is like self, like trying to figure out mm-hmm. why you're the way you are. Mm-hmm. But and then it's also finding someone else to build a bridge towards the secure one, because you can't you can't build an attachment style to yourself. You have to it has to involve another person. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so like. Yes, it was like formed and created when we were children uh, from our caregivers. But mom, if you listen to this, (laughs) you set me up for failure. Just kidding. Love you. Um, But now as as adults, especially as we're seeking romantic partners. Yeah. um, You know, we we have to be a little more crafty now that we like now, you know, you you have done a lot of discovery. You you know, and then with the discovery comes that line of work. How am I going to work on this internally? Right to build a a more healthy attachment style? How do I recognize that this is pushing me? How do you think yours have, how do you think you've been able to like move past yours and kind of come to this place where you're on such a, you know, much more of an even ground? Cause what is your, what's yours again? Anxious? Anxious. Yeah. Um, I think it was, 
like in the anxious was in the attachment style but it was also like a lot of my personality yeah is like you know because i i i i just consider all options so each each option like there's always a possible one it's usually where where you end up but then you like feed off the anxiety like oh it could be this so i have this anxiety now in this bucket (laughs) and then i have this anxiety in this bucket anxiety about these scenarios or that, these things that might not even happen. Yeah, like I spend more time yeah. like creating the scenario and the anxiety around it than actually using that energy to produce a product. And, right. Yeah. Um, so I think um, I think it just allowed me to understand or uh, engage my anxiety in a different yeah. way. Yeah. Um, which has helped me in all sorts of ways. Like it was a lot of work to just be like, oh, you're feeling anxious for this. Is this my anxiety? Is this someone else's anxiety? Like, Mm. am I like, you know, accepting like their anxiousness about the situation? Is that now, is that mine? Or, you know, I can probably handle this. So it was just really just like being honest with myself. And and sometimes you have to be pretty honest, like having these conversations with yourself and doing this work is- Oh my gosh. Yeah, I feel like now I'm at the point where I've had a lot of, a lot of mirror talks. (laughs) There's been a lot of mirror talks going on in this little apartment in the last two years, you know, of like, okay, this is, uh, you know, I've identified this this attachment style quiz really threw me up for a fucking doozy. But we've identified <laughs> that I am, in fact, <laughs> a cold-hearted bitch. <laughs> but that, that, is, that was the way that I was raised. Not that my mom's a cold-hearted bitch, but <laughs> that... <laughs> I can just imagine your mom's face when she... Listens to yeah, this, yeah. yes. Um, you know, but that was... There was so much that I didn't get as a kid. And it was just because that was, that was how my parents were set up. My dad was not loved. I mean, he was like loving in that he loved me unconditionally and, you know, and, and so much, but I can't remember ever like hugging him really, you know, and like, like cuddling with him and like, to, you know, having that. And with my mom, there was definitely, we've talked in, or in previous episodes And, you know, and on the side just over the last couple of years about how that, that trauma was so much also what both of them went through as kids and what they didn't get, then they didn't learn how to then give it to us. So then we're set, you know, kind of trying to be like, well, how I'm just realizing that it's something that I need. I haven't even ever thought that it was something that I needed. So I've just been like, I don't fucking know. I don't need that. Not even a little bit. I think that that's interesting because then that comes back to that intergenerational trauma. Mm -hmm. So like, um, I think just the fact that we are able to, as adults, it doesn't matter what age you are, as long as you're able to identify that you have an attachment style or that there was one formed at certain ages and that, you can acknowledge that some of your behaviors might be a result mm-hmm. of that. Like it, it helps create a, a dialogue and yeah. that's, that's more than what was there before because before yeah. was jack shit. Yeah. And you know, so once you, you are able to kind of be like, at this point in time, I am more aware of, of what's happening. Um, can she fit? Yeah, she fits. It's on <laughs> wheels. Uh, <laughs> um, 
but uh, I think it's, um, I don't know, it, it's interesting because now, now we know and we can see that, but we can also, our parents aren't where we're at. So we're seeing yeah. them, we're seeing that intergenerational um, picture emerge, but um, it's not being fleshed out because we're not, we're not familiar with everything that our parents went through and what yeah. their, their attachment styles and, and what societal pressures were going on oh my at the gosh. time. Like there, right. there's a lot of stuff that they were exposed to that creates, you know, how they interact with you. And do you think that we should really, I put a, <laughs> I put a lot of emphasis on myself. <laughs> I'm very selfish. No, I, I, I look at all of this and all these conversations from a lens of me. And I do put in there, you know, I think about just kind of the fact very broadly that my mom didn't get this. And so she wasn't really raised to understand or process emotions. And therefore I wasn't really raised to understand or process emotions. But you're saying that we should spend time looking at the attachment styles of our parents and really dig into like their childhoods and what they went through and that that will help us kind of piece together where we come from. Am I, I yeah, I think, right? I think that's, that's, that's part of it because I think um, if you're like, you're, you're in a wonderful space with you and your mom where you guys can yeah. talk about it and you can talk about kind of your attachment style or, or what you felt you did or did not have yeah. um, growing up and, and that's creating that dialogue yeah. and, and you're able to have a healthy conversation with your mom that's probably heavy and, and maybe sometimes hurtful but um just to discuss those things out loud um but that's giving her more agency to kind of explore those things and whether or In not herself she, yep yeah. and if she wants to share that or you know it might it, you know she might think of a story you know mm. a couple months down the road based on a conversation you had right. last month and it might have taken her entire life to make that realization mm -hmm. but at least you know, you're, you can share some of those tools and some of that, you know, what you're doing to look inside yourself to help, yeah. you know, those, uh, who help create those, those bonds and especially yeah. if they're open, open to that conversation. Right. Yeah. I think that, I think that's really important. And I, I I'm like, well, I guess I'll call my mom. <laughs> like, so tell me about you. Tell me more <laughs> about this childhood of yours. And how messed up yeah. you are from it. Tell me all about your childhood trauma. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I am ready. I have bullets ready to go. Um, I, yeah, I, so I have a date tonight and I wasn't gonna date really uh, the, like this year. I mean, I'm always like kind of dating, but I wasn't gonna like date, date. You know what I mean? Like go on dates with people and like, do all of that because I'm like, Oh, I don't have time. I don't want to do that. And this really threw me for a loop when I took this quiz, because it was like, I have never ever gone into a relationship with an, another, with a partner in any sort of way other than the only way really that I know, which is like, I'm going to give you about an eight of who I am. That's like all you get. <laughs> um, that's enough. I'll give you like the shiny parts and you'll like, think I'm magical and amazing, but that's all you get. And I will also probably cut you off after like a certain period of time. Right. So I am like, okay, I need practice. I need to practice 
dating in a way that's more just that's more open and and healthy and being more I'm learning how to be more vulnerable as time goes on and I'm getting there with you know I'm I'm great with my friends and my family but there's just like this negative I like kind of like you just saw my face I like what yeah. is that grimace, grimace what, yeah. when I think of like a partner like I'm like Ugh, like why do I need to have a person there but I don't want to think like that you know it's unhealthy is it uh, well, <laughs> I think so there's a couple things that I was thinking about while you were rambling uh, about my distaste for why well, would um, I'm gonna bounce it back but I'm gonna ask about what that picture has looked like dating since you've been sober because alcohol itself Shit. has been <laughs> you know it, it loosens it up that that what the uh, eighth of yourself that you <laughs> it showed you know how how much did that grow when when alcohol was introduced to the picture and and you know they got to see a little more shiny obviously but you were expressing a lot more of yourself yeah and there's less inhibitions the um, only problem is the other parts that i would show <laughs> were like a fucking mess <laughs> like train wreck shelly but when i was drunk you got train wreck shell for sure you got i was fun but there was no like substance you know really yeah. to partners and i that was a huge a really big area of um argument with my ex and i because i had a few friends that i hung out with and he saw how close i was with them and you know we would all hang out together and there were a couple of people that he saw that i would tell you know really personal things too and have you know these really incredible deep conversations <laughs> and then with him i would be like uh, no you know yeah. and be so shut down and be like you don't need to know about any of that because you wouldn't understand it anyways so <laughs> i understand <laughs> why he was so mad <laughs> but that like that cut off that like i'm not gonna you know show you that as sober Shelly, it's different. It's, it's harder because so much of everything is right at the surface for me now. Like every, you know, my sobriety and all of, all of this stuff is sitting at the surface now, which when I was drinking really heavily, it was deep down in there. Like all of these things that I kind of, that I deal with and all, you know, it was super deep. So I didn't even really know how to express that or do that. Now that I'm sober, all of that is one, I talk about it. I put it on the fucking internet every week <laughs> and I'm just constantly talking about it more. So it's all at the surface. So when I'm out with someone, it's almost difficult for me not to jump into like, this is me. I'm sober. I'm divorced. I am like trying to increase my, improve my wavelength. I'm like doing all this, yada, yada. But then I shut, I shut down. <laughs> that's, that's my eighth now. <laughs> is that like sober, divorced, you know, growth mindset. And then that's it. Then you get nothing else. That's like, um, uh, just reading like the jacket on a book. What did like you say earlier? 
when, what did you say earlier? Um, a flashcard or what was it? You were like, oh, I gave them the. Oh, like a flash sheet? No. A face sheet, kind <laughs> of. Sheet, yeah. Like a face sheet of someone's medical record. Oh, yeah, yeah. The rundown. Of the my, rundown. Yeah, yeah. You know, the if you see someone, yes, you know, yeah. if you, if you don't see someone for a while and you see them, you give them the face sheet, you give yeah. them like, this is what I do. This is what I've been doing. I'm this, I'm that, I'm that. Yeah. That's what my partners get. And that's it. Have you. <laughs> <laughs> dating, dating soccer. Um, but have you ever felt that in a relationship that you've had, um, that your partner has been a friend? Because it sounds like you no. have had those friendship relationships with, you know, peers, but that you haven't necessarily rolled that into no. a romantic relationship. And I think that's really where uh-huh. some of that angle comes in because a lot of, like, you have to find, like, that term partner or, right. or you know, you have to find someone that you really click with yeah. on a whole bunch of levels. And, like, sure, physicals is there, like, um, like but but building an emotional bond is... Yeah. Yeah. It really is. It's even, it's, it's tough with friends too. I'm getting better as I go, but I didn't know someone for quite a while and really trust them before I like, I'm going to open up and, you know, share all these things with you. And I think it's the fact that I 100% separate a friendship and a partner because I'm like, I have my friends for that. I need you for one thing and one thing only. And that's at nighttime. (laughs) (laughs) and you're good for nothing else because I have these people for that I am and that's probably why right I can be so dismissive and so cold because I'm like I don't even need them why would I open up to them I don't need them around I need to it (laughs) I need to go into it differently from the beginning well I think it's like you you got to have your mindset open from the beginning but not not necessarily have to be that open in the beginning yes. like you have to like you have to like be the architect you have to say like maybe i'll let this wall down if we hit three months if yeah. you know like you have to as much as you can handle but that with that comes like a lot of communication like yeah this uh like doing the the research on these attachment styles was like really eye-opening a lot of it was about how you attach with your romantic partner and yeah. how that really involves communication because someone might have a secure attachment style and, and we got to, mm-hmm. you know, they're them being like, okay, with where they're at, we might read that differently. We might, yeah. you know, like I'm anxious. I just be like, what are they thinking all the time? <laughs> yes. You would be like, well, I'm just going to draw this wall. They got that wall. Like, <laughs> yeah. like so. Right. You're constantly like, you're very anxious about it. You're like, what are they thinking? Are they okay? What do I need to do? Right. All we're these either, things. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're prioritizing survival or we're, we're trying to, I don't know, make, make sure that it's stable but like whether that's drawing attention or like there's a lot of layers Mm. to it um but there the hope was i think with everything but the uh the disorganized style like in terms of like how to build bridges Mm -hmm. um how that communication kind of comes into play and can be built Mm -hmm. um with this the disorganized style it seemed like there need to be additional steps or at least acknowledgement of larger factors um it, it led into more stuff uh surrounding like childhood trauma and, mm. and uh events like that um but yeah with with dating like I think that was one of the steps I took in the relationship mm. I, I'm going now was just being like at least 
knowing that I should talk about certain things. Like if I'm feeling a certain way or whatever, just, right. you know, not necessarily being needy, but, but just acknowledging like, you know, I feel this way, mm-hmm. um, you know, or I don't know. It, it's, I, it's emotionally, it's hard to connect with people. Yeah. I um, mean, be that vulnerable. I don't, you're not, especially a romantic partner. Yeah. You're, <laughs> you're making that face. You know, what's funny. I'm more comfortable and open with women than I am I would, with men. I would, One, hundred percent i am like it's i'm like now i'm I'm like i should date more women (laughs) what am i what the fuck am i doing i am so i'm just like cool calm and collected when i am dating women with men i'm like i don't trust you immediately i'm like you need you want something from me it's not you know i don't trust you i'm not gonna let you know anything i'm gonna use you for something that you have that I don't have (laughs) and you can leave. I'm the opposite with women. I'm very trusting and very open and very like just more comfortable being myself. Why do you think, why do you think women make it, makes that easier for you to be that? I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I'm more, maybe I'm on my, on my spectrum. Maybe I'm more towards women than I am men or maybe I just don't trust all men well, for think, some reason I think on the the spectrum that there's well I guess yeah it's, it's however that yeah uh, do you say uh bisexual yeah is it okay so um so I don't know operating in that like you're you're able to develop a, different areas of, of your sexuality or attachment to, to partners um do you feel like any of the ways that you've engaged with women you might be able to engage with men the same way or it's gonna be pretty fucking tough (laughs) but I can give it the old college try (laughs) I'm sure gonna try because I do it's not and it's not even that I would rather date a man or a woman I am talking to both men and women right now it does it's just kind of like whatever you know it doesn't doesn't matter. I just find it interesting that I am so, even when I'm like chatting with women or, you know, like if I'm on a date with a woman, I'm just so much more relaxed because it does feel like I'm more like I'm on, like I'm having dinner with a friend, even though we both know that there's something else, you know, that both of us are looking at towards, but it does feel more friendly than it does when I'm on a date with a man, it doesn't feel as friendly. Maybe it's the men I pick. You think it has anything to do with that? It could be the men you pick, but, but you're, you reintroduced that, um, that idea of friendship. So, or at least, mm-hmm. you know, and how, how you were able to identify that there, but then like, you know, you being a young, attractive woman dating men, like you have to be on guard. In yeah. Certain ways. 100%. Like you have to, you have to be checked in in way different ways. Um, I'm not worried about a woman like slipping something into my drink. I'm not worried about a woman giving me, you know, say they pick me up and take me home. I'm not worried about them not taking me home and going to their place and me having to then have that conversation of like, no, I don't want to go to your place. I want you to take me home. And then things that right in my experience dating men can lead you into very uncomfortable situations a woman would fucking never i mean not saying that in in general but i don't have any of that fear with a woman i don't have the fear of like being on a date with a man 
I avoid us cutting a corner and walking down an alley together instead of taking the long way to a restaurant. But with a woman, I wouldn't even think twice about being in an alley with a woman. Yeah. So maybe that is where some of it comes from. Maybe I have a fear of men. <laughs> I, well, I think I, I, I would say that you're not the only woman that feels that way. Yeah. And that, 100%. That that's part of how this society has operated for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just sad. It is really sad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say dating for me, like I, I finally feel comfortable enough yeah. you know, being open and, and dating and, and being with a man in public, but sometimes like I'm scared of what men might do mm. too. So other men, other men, yeah. not the man that you're with. No, not, not the man I'm with usually. Um, like we, <laughs> usually not at all. Like we, it's the same, it's the same game. Like you just run yes. out, you, you swipe through something. You right. Choose, I choose you. I, <laughs> I summon you. <laughs> It's like bringing um, someone to the front, right? Yeah, and those are, those are mostly positive encounters, yeah, uh, as well, especially within with the gay other community. People. But it's um, yeah, the traditional lines of thought and how people mm. view you as either abnormal or a threat, or or feel the need to, you know, like even just like it's it's hard, like it's not like I'm hard on the PDA, but you know, occasionally you just want to hold someone's hand or give them a quick kiss. And I have gotten that when I am on a date with a girl. And I hold their hands. I now I just realized that I've thought this in the past, but I will definitely look around at like, is anyone looking at me weird? And not that like, I'm going to, if I want to hold someone's fucking hand, I'm going (laughs) to hold their hand and you can shove your opinions up your fucking ass. But I would never have that thought cross in my mind of like reaching down and grabbing a man's hand and looking around and being like, oh, you know. But if I reach out and grab a woman's hand, I will look around and be like, you know, what <laughs> maybe older certain <laughs> race individual is going to look at me <laughs> funny. <laughs> and that, um, yeah, it kind of brings it back to some of the other stuff that we were talking about, like, the, I think with attachment styles, like, so yes. you form that uh, when you're younger, but then uh, getting back to like uh, stigma, you get into school age where peers, um, so um, that's where you're reinforcing the gender stereotypes that we're yes. talking about. Um, and then also anything uh, coming from traditional areas where we, like we did, yes. um, negativity towards uh, homosexuality, mm-hmm. trans communities. So that homophobia, um, it's deep, it's hardwired. It it's, is. it's like, it's part of the DNA yeah. uh, of where some of these places and like, and, and for even growing up in those areas like mm-hmm. we have been trained like I had to yeah. learn like moving to San Diego was great because I learned so much about the community but then like I had to re-examine my entire childhood for like oh this this is me with yeah. the stereotype like right like, I always thought this was other people like I have no, this, these ideas that's too. you like, yeah yeah it, because it's how we were taught and it's not that anyone sat us down and said like gay people are bad you know, any one of these races are, you know, are bad or scary or whatever, but it's, it's small things that we hear. I mean, kids are sponges. We all know that. So it's small things that we pick up through our entire childhood that then form all of these thoughts. And unfortunately, a lot of them are bad or negative because of our environments and because of then who we're, you know, 
not even just our parents, the places that we were raised, mm-hmm. small towns, small town mindset, racism, homophobia. And a lot of it is just kind of implicit and not necessarily discussed. So like, yeah, it's, it's there. It's just those little tiny things here and there. You hear someone use this word or that word or, mm-hmm. but it, it tells you, it, you tune into it and, and then you realize you have to adjust in yeah. a certain way. And, and some of that is pushing down who you are. Some of it is just to fit in that space. Um, yeah. It, it has a lot of, a yeah. lot of effects. I think it's so great now we're, you know, I see a lot of things on social media and the news of, you know, just this culture that we're moving towards of if a little boy wants to wear a dress as a costume, that that is okay. And all of these little things that we're, not only is it going to affect that boy, let's say, but it's going to affect the people that he is around. It's going to affect kids that watch this. It's going to affect those people. Like it just, it's a ripple effect. So I think that just understanding that every small thing you do and every small thing that you say has a much bigger effect than you think. So putting these small, you know, safe places out there for kids and for youth is just going to have, we don't have to create these like monumental systems, right? Of like, it's the, it's little things that over time will get there. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that visibility is important and the internet's definitely helped. Kind oh of, yeah. I think um, like, uh, especially once smartphones kind of took off and, and the internet was more easily accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it started creating not, well, I guess spaces, queer spaces have always existed. Um, but I think it started creating more quality spaces yeah. and resources and, and really building some of the, the best practices on how to approach things, when yeah. to, like started creating more dialogue to really, I don't know, make it, make it safer for people to either express themselves or find like, just type in, I feel this way into Google yes. and like, and have Google say, it's okay. Like there, <laughs> there, there's 1 million hits that say this is okay. Yes. <laughs> so, like, I feel this way. Google just a uh, big on your screen pops up. It's okay. Yeah right? It's okay to feel that way. Yeah. Yeah, That's, I think that that's huge. I'm so glad that we're moving in that direction. And I'm, I'm feel fortunate that the people that I surround myself with the people in my life, you know, and the majority of my family is very warm and accepting. And though they might not understand a lot of all of this, you know, anything, you know, um, traumas, sobriety, sexuality, all of that, while they don't necessarily understand it, they're open to it. And I think that's what I really want people to move into. Like, you aren't going to understand all of this and that's fine. You don't have to necessarily understand it, but try to, Yeah. try to, and be open and know that as long as these, you know, as long as an individual is not harming, you know, themselves or others, then, you know, it's fine. Get over it. Yep. I think, um, I think that's great. Like, I, I think, um, I think it's, it's important, like, cause we're usually, uh, for the longest time, I think, uh, if someone came out as gay, 
uh, or lesbian or transgender or bisexual, whatever it is, um, their family, usually that was their first experience with, yes. with that. So I think um, it's just kind of like gearing yeah. the conversation to say like, I love you and that's a part of you and I'm going to try to figure, you yeah, know, try to, to figure it out. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. work the best way I can within this and, and ask questions or, or do what I need to, to make sure that, yeah. you know, that I still love you and that you're X, Y, and Z to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I will try. And yeah. I think that that says a lot. Yeah, it does. I love that. So I think that to wrap, to wrap this up, um, there was a lot. There's a <laughs> lot. And that's what I preface here. I'm like, there's a lot we could do once I figure out how to better do an online, you know, I need to just, I should just get over myself and actually start editing some of these. And that would probably do the trick, but we can do a part two and touch on all the things that I know that we, that we didn't, that we missed. Um, but I would recommend to everyone I'm like, I don't, I don't want to give like not false information, but like, I would never tell someone to take a Buzzfeed quiz. <laughs> like what princess are you, you know, or whatever. Which one were you? You were Aurora, right? I don't know. I just that I oh, made that up. up. Okay, I made that okay. up. I don't know what princess, I don't know what princess I am. I'll figure it out and I'll do an episode <laughs> on it. I am Jasmine. I don't know. Um, I wanted to be Belle when I was younger. Yeah. So bad. I thought she was, she was like my favorite Disney princess. I loved her. Was Anyways, she read books? I don't know. Because she had the yellow dress. <laughs> it felt like it had a lot to do with the beast. <laughs> I, that, I, that was the next one. I was like waiting for it. <laughs> I think it did. <laughs> she was like held captive and then fell in love with him. And I'm like, this is it. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is the dream. <laughs> If she gets to live in a fucking castle, of course I wouldn't leave. Anyways, I'll take a quiz and then I'll let everyone know what princess I am. Um, but I would recommend everyone, if you haven't, to go figure out. I did mine on psychologytoday.com. And there's like 50 questions. It only took me like 10 minutes. And figure out what attachment style you are. It doesn't give you, you have to, it'll tell you what style you are. And then you have to pay for additional knowledge or whatever. But I just. I figured out what attachment style I am and then just Googled, you know, that attachment style and came up with a lot of different things, but it was really, this one was definitely an eye opener for me and not in anything that I didn't already know, but this kind of threw it in my face. Like if you want to be, if you want to have like a healthy relationship, you need to address this. And like, yes, it's okay to be alone. I don't need a partner. Obviously I think we've all We've all gotten that. I don't need anyone. Right. Do I need to say it again? I don't need no thinking, man. Um, that it's okay to be alone, but it's also okay to be with someone and to share yourself with someone. And I, I need to work and I need to work on that. And I think that like, it gives you the opportunity to, to look into your toolkit, to develop yes. like, and to, to understand when you're acting one way, which, you know, is unfavorable yes. or will not help the entirety of the situation right and you know to at least stop either address it or like take a second to yourself be like right what the fuck? yeah or 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 say like hey i'm feeling this way right now give me like 10 minutes like i'm yeah. I'll probably figure it out like but it, it's 
it's forcing you to be more present in it instead of just kind of rolling with your gut instinct, which is to leave or just cut <laughs> off. Yeah. When I tell you how many doors I've walked out of, <laughs> you, bye. You'll never hear from me again. Anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for sitting down with me. I know I, you literally just flew in today and I'm like, surprise, we're going to sit down and record an episode. If you guys want any additional content or want to reach out to me, Follow me on Instagram at remarkably underscore us. You can also check out my website, remarkablyus.com for all my blogs, information, and episode links, all on how to live your most remarkable life possible. Feel free to reach out to me with any questions. If you think this episode would help, please share, be kind, and please never forget how wildly capable you are. Till next time. Bye. Do you want to say bye? (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.